Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be here on this Mother's Day, and I'm glad to be celebrating with you guys. I, fortunately, I have kids now that are old enough to figure out what to do on Mother's Day, and it's kind of more their responsibility. Uh, when the kids were little, I felt this pressure um, to do stuff that I'm really not good at, like celebrate special moments. And I wanted to say something like... Um, Look, the dads, you may not think we've come a long way, but, but we have. I mean, we have to go in the birthing room now, and it's expected that we do something useful. And um, I just had to point out to my wife, I said, my dad, this is what we had to work with. My dad, he just dropped my mom off outside the emergency room. And he went home, and he had a couple beers and watched a ball game, and then called in the next day to see how it went. And if it went well, then he had his friends come over, had a few more beers, and they added to that the cigar, and they had those. And then in a couple days, he went back and picked my mom and I up. I don't know that he ever went in the hospital. So just for you ladies to know, your husbands, they don't have much to work with. And if they can pull anything off, just have mercy on them. This is about mercy on the dads. Because you do get this look if your kids drop the ball that you somehow should have done something to train them better and all that. So we don't have much to work with. So let me, um, let me pray for us and we'll get started on this passage. Lord, thanks for this day. I pray that you'll bless us as we study the scriptures. Thank you that we get to come together and worship you. And I pray that you would move in us by your Holy Spirit, illuminate the word, create in us a capacity to receive your truth, to hear be quiet before you, Lord. We are so grateful for the scriptures. We are so grateful for the detail included in this passage that we're going to read, Lord. It is so easy for us to transcend the centuries and the language barrier and the culture and the distance because of the way scripture is written. And I thank you for those who were faithful in recording your word and passing it on through the generation so that we, here many thousand miles away from the events that took place, we can hear and understand. We are grateful for all those who have gone before us to make it possible this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to look, we're going to jump right into some, some passages that are about mothers, and we're going to be in Luke 39 um, 139 through 45. So uh, this is New King James. I am not saying the New King James is the authorized version. I'm just saying when I became a Christian at age 20, I knew nothing about the Bible, and this was what I learned in. And so when I speak, I use, try to use that one just because it'll help me get through. But if you want to look ahead on your own passage, you're, you're welcome to. So we have two pregnant women here, um, and that's another thing I just want to mention. Guys, I made this mistake too. When, when we had our first child, I didn't know how to announce it, so I said, probably we are pregnant, and that sounded good for a little while, and then a couple months in, you start to realize that you are not pregnant. She is pregnant, and none of this we stuff. Um, so we get, to, we get to jump right into some pregnancy. Uh, the two pregnant women are going to be interacting, so we'll be talking about that. Before, Zacharias and Elizabeth are a key part of this story, and we won't do the back passage on them earlier, but you guys know the stories of John the Baptist's parents. And in verse 1-6 of this same chapter, it says how um, 
they were righteous. This couple was righteous and they were older. And I think it's important to note that uh, they, that was significant because to be barren in those days often carried a stigma of less than or maybe God's displeasure. So the fact that she was an older woman who had not had a child and she was called righteous is significant. And it's significant to us because sometimes how our life works out, we may feel God's pleasure because circumstances haven't worked out what like we liked. And we can look to somebody like Elizabeth and know that she had to draw strength of being righteous before the Lord, even though there was a great yeah, but about her life. Oh, she's good, but, you know, where are kids kind of thing. It, it was much more pronounced in those days. So it, it talks about in verse 124, the once she finds out, she hides herself for five months. Now, I know sometimes people, um, particularly if it's a second or third child or whatever, there may be a reason women don't want to announce it, and that's fine. You don't want to announce for various reasons. I wonder, and I'm speculating, but why does she hide for five months? And the only thing I can go off of is uh, we have a friend in Mexico, and she had kids, and then her husband had died, and then years later, she, she got remarried, and uh, she, they had, she got pregnant. And I remember asking, aren't you excited? She said, no, I'm embarrassed. Because at 42, in that culture, you're not supposed to be pregnant. And most of, a lot of the teenagers are the moms or the early 20s. Uh, I don't know why she hid herself, but she did for five months. And then we get into, right before Mary comes on, you know the story of how the angel speaks. But the angel tells uh, Mary that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. So that's a time frame when we hit that. And it seems like... Um, because it says, uh, I'm going to move over so I can not look back to read the passage. Um, it says that Mary, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste. It could have been estimates maybe a 70 to 90 mile journey. How many of you women have traveled when you're pregnant? We don't know if she had morning sickness yet. Uh, we know that Mary has to travel in her pregnancy. That's part of her deal. And uh, she probably couldn't bring, you know, how the end of your pregnancy and you start moving to the couch and the pillows and all that. Imagine those not being there as she gets to the end of her pregnancy as they travel. But here she's pretty early on, and it says she went with haste. So we have every reason to believe that soon after the angel announces this and she says, your uh, cousin Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. It seems like Mary all but shot out the door. Now, think about it from Mary's perspective. That would have been a real-world confirmation of the message she just received. I mean, think of being Mary, young. She gets this message. She responds well to it. She's thinking maybe through the implications, but she may be wondering, was this all a dream or something? But she said, Elizabeth, okay, well, she's going, and she wants to see because if Elizabeth is pregnant, that's going to bring Mary a great deal of consolation. So that's what she goes and does. And so she enters the, um, the house and greets Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped inside of her. And just you guys, uh, the guys will never know this, but you women who have had children know that feeling of another being moving inside of you, leaping and kicking and sometimes kicking the wrong things. And, and you're, you know, just starting to fall asleep and bam, you get kicked. That, she's feeling that, and this one leaps for joy. So this isn't just kicking, this is jumping. And I don't know if you've ever had a child jump in your womb, 
But I imagine it wakes you up. And it gives you, whoa, whoa. So that was what was going on. This baby uh, jumps in her womb when she hears the, 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 and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that one I want to pause on. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Besides the leaping. So she's got a baby inside of her. And then she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't know what she was doing before Mary showed up. I mean, she might have just been waking up. She might have been having her coffee. I don't know. But all of a sudden, a human leaps inside of you, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a lot going on at one time. And you can go ahead, Joanna, to the next passage. And then she spoke with a loud voice. So, I mean, she just yelled. She, you have to jump up. This is, the baby's jumping. The Holy Spirit's filling her, and she comes out. And she said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And this is the key one. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So there's a chance. It's very early in the pregnancy. might be the second week, you know, depending on how long quickly she left, how long it took to walk. Either way, the child inside, baby Jesus, is very small inside of Mary, and she's probably not showing, and yet Elizabeth says, the mother of my Lord. Now, the word curios could mean master, you know, it could just mean, you know, like a title of respect, but it is the same words that's used throughout, uh, like when Jesus quotes the psalm and he talks about, you know, David, why did he say, you know, use the same my Lord, kind of the same word, and so to me, this is highly likely a very early proclamation of the deity of Christ. Right there in this interaction between two pregnant women standing in front of each other, that this is my Lord. Now, it wouldn't have been, we don't have as much of the age respect culture, but um, Mary is much younger than Elizabeth. So it's, it's kind of an interesting um, trans, little interaction that she defers to Mary. I mean, she's She's really praising Mary. She's, she's celebrating that this Lord, the mother of my Lord, has come to me. Think what that might have meant for Elizabeth. She had that experience with John the Baptist being inside of her. She's, um, she's moving along in her pregnancy. She's surely pregnant now. She doesn't have any doubts about it. Mary's not, maybe not, apart from a little morning sickness, has a lot to show for it. But for Elizabeth, this must have been really confirming that the Holy Spirit fills her and she is seeing, okay, what was she's now carrying inside of her, it's part of a bigger picture. And Mary is the person who's going to be part of this bigger picture. And so um, then as we move down, she says, um, go ahead and move to verse 43. We'll, we'll just move over to here. As she says, this is where it switches over to Mary, okay? Um, you can go, go down to the next passage. I think we switched back to 46. There we go. Okay. All right. So this is Mary saying out, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What does it mean for her soul to magnify the Lord? What does it mean for your soul to magnify the Lord? I mean, there is this joy that comes from honoring the Lord. There's this joy that comes from doing what he asks us to do. And if you can say, my Lord, it is by the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we, we talked about Elizabeth coming up and saying, you know, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she says, my Lord. Well, the Scriptures teach us that you can't call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's something God reveals to you. If you are here today and you can say Jesus is Lord, it's by the grace of the Holy Spirit that enables you to do it. And we get kind of a similar glimpse of this kind of how God moves in us to even make it possible for us to proclaim he's Lord. And when uh, Peter and Jesus had that interaction about Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Jesus confesses who he is, the Messiah, and, and, um, and Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So on a very basic level, if you can proclaim the deity of Christ, the Spirit is moving in you. And that's something to celebrate. Right along with Mary, with Elizabeth, we can celebrate that we are part of a people proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. So in your life, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? Sometimes it's to stand up and speak for him. Sometimes it's to represent him in ways of of how we act or how we treat people. To live out Christ's proclamation to seek first the kingdom. We magnify the Lord in that way. And as you think about, um, as you think about what was happening at this time and how difficult it was for Mary, so she stays there for a couple months, but she's talking, she's now magnifying the Lord, she's had confirmation, and in verse 50, she says, his mercy is on those who fear him. Mercy is what Kirsten prayed for. We need God's mercy, and if anybody needs mercy, it's mothers, and particularly it's mothers coming out of the COVID season. Was that not crazy? I mean, you got your whole system set up, if you got a system to run, and then all of a sudden, all your kids are just in your house, and you are the system. You are bringing whatever is got to be brought from, some of you have homeschooled before, some of you have not, and you homeschooled. There was all this stuff that fell on the moms. And we talk a lot with different people in Mexico. Imagine you are in a shack in our neighborhood at Kiram House, and COVID hits. They are still only online to this day. Imagine, because we don't have running water yet, and your kid is in the house to be online educated in our neighborhood in Mexico. We need God's mercy to make it through this time. And as Kirsten was praying, there's so many areas that as a mother, you get hit where you need God's mercy. You get in these spots that you just don't know, like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Like, I saw this guy. I thought he was cute. We, like, started going out, and we celebrated his wedding. And, like, I'm standing here. I, I met this one mom. that I just met her in Navajoa, Mexico. And this, they're in a poor neighborhood, so they're definitely on the poor side, but they only have two kids, and they both work. So these are not starving people, like destitute, like a lot of the people that we see. I said, how's your day? She said, I got called. I had to leave work and go meet with the principal. And the principal wanted to know, she has an eight-year-old son who seems like he's doing fine. So she said, I was shocked by this. She said, the principal wanted to know what my plan was to keep my son from eating all the pencils in school. She's like, he's looking at me like, my plan? I didn't even know he was eating pencils. And she come home, she's like, my plan for what? Don't eat the pencils. What plan is there? And she said, how did I get to this spot where I'm trying to figure out how to get a kid not to eat pencils? 
you probably have tons of stories as a mom where you're standing there maybe by yourself thinking, how did I get here? This just, and it gets trickier as you get older because then the kids grow up. And as you have teenagers, um, I don't know whether this story is going to make sense, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When you are a parent, a mom of teenagers, and this is my, how many of you have, not the women may not have seen it, how many of you guys have seen the movie Ben-Hur? Raise your hand before I go too far. All right, so Ben-Hur is this uh, story about, it's pre-Jesus, a really cool story, one of the early older films, but there. But Ben-Hur is a slave in the Roman galleys down below in this boat. And so he's just chained to the oar, and he's going. So here's what I want you to have in mind. Um, You are a parent of teenagers, okay? And you and your spouse are down there rowing this boat that has become your family. And I'm just talking economically here. You're just rowing. You know, you got the house. You got the car. You got, like, food. And you're just rowing to keep—the kids are on deck. Kids are on deck. They're hanging out. Um, and then you're rowing along with your husband, and you say, um, I went to the dentist today. She's going to need braces. How much? 250 a month, three years. Boom, they start. You know, there's this guy in Ben-Hur that beat this drum from, like, cruising speed to, like, battle speed. Well, now you kick up. You're like, shoom, 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 shoom. You're rowing. Kids are on deck. You talk again. You're like, yeah, uh, the other one's getting his license. How much is insurance? 150 more. Okay, boom, boom, boom. You're both down there rowing. You're rowing, you're rowing, you're rowing. And then the kids are like, hey, um, I need 20 bucks for, okay. And then you're boom, boom. How much is soccer, uniforms? How much more in gas for travel? Boom, boom. And you're down there rowing. You're both just rowing. And you're just trying to keep, like, from going into depression. You're rowing, you're rowing. You look over and you see someone that looks vaguely like a girl you used to date. But you just keep rowing. You're just rowing, rowing, rowing. And then the kids, you know, the guys out there, boom, 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 boom. Parents are down there rowing. Kids are up on the deck. Mom, we're out of those spicy chips. Uh, my friends are here. We're watching the movie. We're out, of the, we're out of the spicy chips, Mom. And you're like, be quiet. And the kids, I, I don't know what her problem is. I mean, I'm just asking for chips. We need God's mercy to do this parenting thing all the way through. We need mercy for each other. We need mercy for our kids. Uh, it is really hard as a parent not to constantly see the one or two things that your kid needs to correct. And so they come to the kitchen, you're like, I got to talk to him about this. I got to mention this. Or there he goes, he left his shoes again um, in the hallway. I've tripped over them 800 times. I've got to, te- I have to teach that. Some of it's true, but some of it we really need mercy. We need mercy to run these homes because expectations are huge. The expectations that kids can put on you, the expectation the culture puts on you, and more importantly, the expectations that you're putting on yourself. Because as an educated society, we have this built-up concept of the way things ought to be and the way I ought to be. And that you, as moms, you just hit those days when you're not doing it. And you get weighed down by not having mercy for yourself. And so that's where the kingdom of God steps in. That's where we, as a body, can get together and pray for one another. Or just tell these stories and just say, Christ has mercy for us. Yes, I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, and I need to explain how I raised the five kids that I was in charge of raising. But his mercy is on those who fear him. I recognize that's going to happen, but I need God's mercy. And as moms, 
after this year, you need mercy, most likely. And a lot of it comes from who you thought you would be day in, day out. It's a tough job. So I want to encourage you with that, that that's available. And then as Mary goes on, she, she, she talks about things that um, she says, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. And then he's filled the hungry and the rich he sent away empty. You get this concept of the, of the ups, the people on the up are down and the downs are up. You know, the people that are, um, you know, the mighty ones are thrown off and the, and the lowly one are exalted and the hungry are filled and the rich are sent away. There's this flipping of the way things are that the Messiah is going to bring. And, and you see it in Luke 4 where uh, Jesus comes and he talks about in his first public speaking in his, in his hometown. He's in the synagogue. He's going to, he quotes Old Testament saying that he's going to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives. And I would even argue in Luke's version of uh, the Beatitudes in chapter 6, when he's talking about the blesseds and the wobies, they're the exact flip of the reality that we know. So one of the things the Messiah brings is a flipping of the way we see the world. He's introducing a whole new concept of what it means to live the good life. And it's based around mercy, and it's based around really seeking the Lord to try to magnify him, get our eyes off of ourselves. We are, I think it's good, but we are, in terms of our education, but we are a highly introspective culture. And one of the great ways we get free of it is to come here and worship. So I want to encourage you just for coming. We learned last May, God did not strike any of us down for not going to church. He didn't strike us down the next Sunday or the Sunday after that or the Sunday after that. You don't have to go to church. So why do we do it? One of the reasons we do it is because honoring God and magnifying the Lord is something that we can do together that we cannot do alone quite as well. So well, I, I love our worship team's been working hard. These were two new songs that they wrote. There's a couple other ones that are going to roll out. It's tough to lay your song out to a group. It's one thing to write a song and play it with some friends, but um, what Richie just did, that's not easy because those are the words that are in his heart. He put them on the screen, and he sang before us. We want to be the kind of body that is just drawing people up who want to step up and magnify the Lord in various ways. And, in a lot of, and the worship team is leading on that. They've got a couple more songs that are coming out, and I know some of you guys have figured out how to get them on YouTube. It's awesome to follow along with what they're doing. As a body, this is one way we magnify the Lord. We come and we worship together. So as Mary spoke, she leads into this concept uh, and of the incarnation. This is the fulfillment of these things are going to come in Jesus. So the thought I want to end on is really focusing on the Lord. We want to focus on the fact that he did this incredible thing in becoming man. And you could trace it all the way back to Genesis, even when he's walking in the cool of the garden. God's intention is to be with us. That's awesome. That's, a, that's an amazing God who looks at us, who knows how easily I get tripped up over the simplest of things around the house. I don't know, like the trash can trips me up if it's full again and no one knows where the trash can is hidden right outside the back door. I get tri- and God has mercy 
That's the kind of human God came down to be with, people like me. He's come to be among us. And so to give you a little bit of a picture, I want to focus on the incarnation and Christ coming down for us. We're going to read, we're going to end by reading, I'm going to end by reading Philippians chapter 2, a couple passages. But before I did that, I found this, uh, I guess, prayer from Augustine, who was several hundred years after, 400 years after Jesus, a long time before us. But this is how he got some concept of, of God man. And these are some of the things he said. That he, the bread, might be hungry. That he, the fountain, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be wearied by the journey. That he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses. That he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. That he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, the teacher, might be beaten with whips, that he, the vine, might be crowned with thorns, that he, the foundation, might be suspended upon a cross, that strength might be weakened, that he who makes well might be wounded, that life might die. And then this passage to end us is from Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, I invite you to tell your stories about your unique times when you as a mom have been in a moment wondering why did God put me here and share how God's mercy carried you through those moments because the other moms really need to hear it. So now we're going to transition. Lucas is going to give the blessing uh, song and one of the things we're going to try to do, Kirsten had the idea to do a little Pentecost meal after church. So that's two Sundays from now. And we're going to do it out on the patio area. We're going to have some kids games. If you want to participate in in bringing some food, it won't be long. A lot of you guys were there for Easter Sunday and that feel of the music playing and being outside. We're going to have some music going. It won't be long, but please consider joining in with us there. Because one of the things I'd like to do coming out of COVID we, we have the small groups, our life groups going, and we have this gathering. But there are friends in here that I just don't see in my life group circle. So we're trying to have a couple gatherings that would be for 100 or so people so that you can develop friendships with those people you thought, I'd always like to talk more to them. Well, this little Pentecost meal will be an opportunity to just be out there for half an hour or an hour and talk with um, other members of this body. So... The Lord bless you and keep you, and moms, may you feel celebrated this day. 
You've earned it. We, none of us would be here without you. And we're just really grateful for the way you serve and the way you bless us.